Praise the Lord. Uh, I want to echo uh, what my darling wife said. Welcome this morning. Uh, you know, we have quite a few out. Uh, just want to uh, say hello to the Underwoods. They, this is their anniversary weekend. So we're praying. You guys are probably watching online. Uh, we love you, and we say happy anniversary, and we pray that you're having a great time. Amen. And I uh, also want to echo what uh, Christy said. Uh, we really want you guys to uh, join us for our uh, Christmas meal and fellowship uh, after church next Sunday. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful time in the Lord, and some uh, people are working very hard to make it a pleasant experience for everyone. And uh, I'd like for us to have that opportunity to take advantage of every opportunity to fellowship in something other than a church service, where we can actually just be ourselves, relax, and just enjoy each other's company and, and bless each other in, in whatever ways God has gifted us. So uh, please join us uh, next Sunday after church. And like Christy said, eat light or eat heavy if you want to. If you're a heavy eater, just uh, don't let it stop you from uh, enjoying the fellowship and food when we come together corporately. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, join me in a brief word of prayer, and then we will spend our time in the Gospel of Luke this morning, uh, chapter 1. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, yet again, uh, we thank you for who you are and what you've done for us, Lord. You are truly a father to the fatherless. You are truly the wonderful counselor how great thou art and uh, we have all tasted and seen that you are good and uh, so Lord uh, we bless your name this morning and uh, we pray uh, that you would visit us this uh, today Father God and, and really minister to us through your word in Jesus name amen amen uh, Luke uh, chapter 1 we're I'm primarily going to start in the fifth verse, and uh, we're going to cover a large portion of the Gospel of Luke. But I want to, I didn't give it to them. Uh, who's uh, doing the verses back there? Uh, I think the first one I gave you was Luke 5 to 17. Uh, you can go ahead and put that up there, but I'm going to read the first four verses I decided this morning. Um, Luke 1, and it says, and Luke gives us uh, really the reason, uh, one of his purpose for writing this, and he says, in, in as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. You know, I felt like it's important to really to, to say that because this month, we're going to be, I'm going to be covering the Christmas story from a slightly different angle. I'm going to be covering the Christmas story from various perspectives. The perspectives of various characters who had a role to play in the Christmas story. And how they fit, not only how they fit in the story, but the story that they saw events or the, the portion of the story that they were involved in and what they were able to see from their perspective. Because everybody can't see from everybody's perspective. You can pretty much only see from your perspective. You didn't live everybody's life. You lived your life. Right? And so I want to start off by seeing our first character in the story of Christmas, whose perspective that we're going to cover today is Zechariah. You don't normally see uh, murals or 
nativity scenes or anything with Zechariah in it. People just skip right on past him. Elizabeth gets some recognition, but not Zechariah. But do you know that Zechariah is the first character introduced in the Christmas story? Even before Gabriel visited Mary to give her the glad tidings he gave her, he first visited Zechariah. The first person to know, to know that the coming of the Messiah was imminent or near was Zechariah. Now, he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't a pillar of faith in that moment and he didn't actually respond all that well, but he was the first one that got the announcement. So it seems fitting to begin this Christmas perspective series with Zechariah, the first one who was visited. Verse 5, and I'll just read the verses 5 through 7. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So this is a short introduction. The introduction of Zechariah is not a lengthy one. The first thing we're told about him is that he's a priest. And that he's husband to Elizabeth, a daughter or a descendant of Aaron. So we're given his profession and his relationship status. The introduction continues in verse 6 with a brief description of what I'll call his spiritual character. It says that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were righteous. Say righteous. They were righteous before God and that they both walked blamelessly say blameless in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord so this tells me Zechariah was a man who when God called him he answered God's call to the priesthood he took his relationship with God seriously are you hearing me? And he committed to a lifestyle of serving the Lord. Being a priest wasn't a glory position. It's a lifestyle of serving both God and man. It's a lifestyle of sacrifice, self-denial, dying to self. Are you hearing me? This man loved God, this man walked with God, he chose, he answered the call to a lifestyle of service. And he chose a daughter of Aaron as his wife, which tells me he didn't just want a woman to keep his bed warm and perform wifely duties. He wanted as a wife a woman who knew how to walk with God. He wanted a wife whose commitment to following God matched his own. And he looked for a wife out of the family of Aaron. So he even honored God in the choosing of his mate. He didn't want to pick someone that's just going to serve him. He intentionally chose someone that's going to love God more than she loves him. So in this small introduction, this tells me a lot about the man, Zechariah. Stuff that's important for us to pay attention to. Stuff that we can learn from him. And it says of their, their testimony is that they were righteous before God and they walked blamelessly in all his commandments and statutes of the Lord. What a glorious testimony. How amazing would it be if our eulogy or our epitaphs said exactly that. We didn't just talk about it, we walked it. 
We lived a life that glorified God to the fullest. What a glorious testimony. And that one that is truly worthy of double honor. So I remind you that this month I'm focusing on the Christmas story from the perspective of different people who played a role in the story. And what is perspective? I don't want to make this a, a class and put anybody to sleep, but what is perspective? Perspective is simply a point of view. It's a point of view. It's, it's the way that we see and interpret the world around us. It's a point of view. And that point of view is formed by uh, uh, many different things, but I will say life experience forms our perspective as much as anything else. There are other things, other factors that factor into it, but life experience forms our perspective as much as anything else. And I believe that's, what's hap- that's what happened with Zechariah. Let's for a moment consider, and, and during this message, what Zechariah has experienced in his life, and two, how that life experience might have impacted his perspective when he encountered the archangel Gabriel. Just a little bit of a recap script of what we went over so far. Scripture says that Zechariah and his wife were godly people. An entire adult life lived righteously unto God. Decades of marriage in which both he and his wife walked blamelessly in the word of the Lord. Yet they were never able to have children because his wife Elizabeth was barren. I don't believe for a second that they lacked faith in God. You don't have the testimony that they have without having faith in God. This isn't a judgment about them. You know, although I'm sure their peers and many people probably felt like, Dude, for people who walk with God like they do, they ought to be abundantly blessed. They ought to be more blessed than most. They ought to be more blessed than all the rest of us. They ought to be able to have children. How can they be walking with God so blamelessly and not be able to have children? That, that's a curse upon them. So there must be something. Maybe there's some dark secret we don't know about. The whispers. I'm sure they had to deal with that. You remember Job, his well-meaning friends, when all the calamity was befalling him, they tried to get him. Come on, man, fess up. We're going to still love you. We're your boys. There's no way you're walking blamelessly with God and all this has befallen you. There has to be something for which you need to repent. There has to be some deep, dark secret that you need to confess and make right with God so all of this can stop. And he's like, no, I don't know why this is happening to me. I'm not doing anything differently than I've always done. You know the same mindset, the same thoughts, the same whispers had to be going on regarding Zechariah and Elizabeth. Who knows? Maybe it's hard for me to believe that they didn't have their own negative thoughts going on. Their own doubts, their own self-condemnation, their own struggle. But I don't believe they lacked faith. Their life was rooted in faith and trust in God. And I'm sure God answered many of their prayers. But giving Elizabeth the ability to bear a child was the one prayer that went unanswered by God. Hmm. God is good. 
God is great. He's a miracle-working God. So it's not that he couldn't have made her able, miraculously made her able to bear children, but he didn't. The God that delivered the children of Israel from Pharaoh in Egypt, the God that parted the Red Sea, the God that gave them the promised land, and gave the, who brought down the walls of Jericho and gave them the ability to possess the land. Could have given them a child. But you know, I see a, a theme in scriptures in these amazing times here when, when God's about to do something great. You notice that Abraham, the father of our faith, was promised a son. And his wife, Sarah, was unable to bear children. And God, at the right time, according to his will, gave her the ability to have children, and they had a child, Isaac, in their late age. That son, Isaac, had a wife, Rebecca, who was also barren and not able to bear children. He prayed for that wife, and God heard his prayer and miraculously gave her the ability to bear children. The artist formerly known as Jacob, Israel. Jacob loved Rachel. He married Leah and Rachel. Rachel was unable to bear children. That's the one he loved. And God gave her the ability to have children. I'm looking at, this is all a part of the hall of faith. This is all a part of the Christian story. This is all a part of the tapestry that God has woven throughout history. Right? And in all these testimonies, there was struggle. In all of these testimonies, God could have done it in a way that was easier for people, but he chose the way that he chose to do things because according to his divine will, that was the right thing to do. We don't know fully, know fully grasp the mind of God to know why he does everything. That's why we are to walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? So this God that did all of those great things could have blessed them to have a child. But he didn't. And I can... It doesn't say how many years they were married. But it does say that now, however long they've been married, and we can, we can know that they've been married decades. They got married. However young they were when they got married, the scripture says in uh, verse 7 that they were well advanced in years. So every day, every year, who knows how many times they prayed for God to bless them to have a child and how many times that prayer didn't get answered. How many times they had to deal with the disappointment, encourage themselves in the Lord, and, and just decide, you know what, God is still good. It didn't happen this time again. This is the hundredth time we've tried. This is the hundredth time we prayed for it. This is the hundredth time we've been let down. And yet they had to battle through it and keep the faith. They still, through it all, maintained the testimony that they walked righteously with God and blameless in all of his commandments and statutes. That is to be recognized and commended. How many times? And I can only tell, you know how it is when we really want something, we don't get it, and we start, I don't know if bargaining is the real, is, is the real word, but, you know, all of a sudden, reality starts setting in, and 
and we start saying stuff like, well, you know, that's okay. Knowing good and well, the words coming out of our mouth don't match what we're feeling in our hearts. But we're trying to drum something up. That's okay. I'm sure God has his reasons. Oh, and this one, this is just my cross to bear. However we need to, we tend to entertain thoughts and words to just kind of help us muddle through. Uh, we don't want to, you know, we don't really want to launch out at God, so, so we just, we do what we can to muddle through. We're talking about perspective and what forms it. So God may have had a history of doing miraculous exploits for the people of Israel, but that wasn't what Zechariah and Elizabeth experienced as far as being able to bear children. It wasn't their experience. So Zechariah put the whole not having a child issue behind him. But then, everybody say, but then. One day, he gets visited by an angel. Let's go on to verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. <laughs> and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him, he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Just to just process for a moment what this message means, the significance of this message, and who it's being delivered to. Think of the timing. Now, I've been critical of Zechariah, but, you know, but I found myself under conviction in uh, studying and reading through this for this message. Because it's easy to criticize him for not having great faith. I mean, you're looking at an angel, for goodness sake. You're a priest. You're in there in the hour of incense. And so you should be able to believe God when a, a divine being comes and gives you this amazing proclamation. But let's consider what his life experience has been. For him... This declaration is a sore spot. For him, in order to get through, he's had to kind of die to that whole hope of having a child because not only have they gone so many years, even decades, without the answer, without a God answering their prayer for a child, now they're advancing years. As far as they were concerned, the time for that is gone. And now God sends an angel. To say, hey, brother, your prayers have been answered. You're going to have a child. My brothers and sisters who attend Saints Alive, you know, what if, what if? <laughs> Ladies, you know, my saints alive, ladies, what if your husband came home one day 
God said, we got to have another one, baby. <laughs> she probably said, well, God's got to tell me that directly. But he's had to, he's had to process this. And he's had to gradually come to grips with the idea that this was just a prayer that God just said no, and for whatever divine reason, whatever his divine purpose is, it just was not in his will for us to have children. Think of all the prayers that went forth. Think of all the hopes that got dashed. Think of all those things. It shouldn't be any wonder why he would have pause and wouldn't just jump at this proclamation at this time. At this age, do we even want a child? You know, we wanted one when we were 30 or 40. You know, if we're 70 now, do we, however old he was, you know, it's like, do we even want a child now? God, this, is, this, wasn't, this wasn't part of our plan. But in this, he tells them not only that you're going to have a child, but you're going to have a son. He tells him what to name the son. (laughs) Right? He tells him what to name his son. And he tells him the anointing that's going to be on his son and and the call of God on his life. Uh, All of that is amazing enough, but he tells him that he is going to turn the hearts of the people back to God and Amazing enough that he is going to go before the Lord, the long-awaited Messiah. That means your son is going to be a forerunner to the Messiah. He's going to pave the way for the coming of the Lord. He wasn't there when Jesus was born. I'm not, he, at this moment, he has no idea who the Messiah is, who the Messiah is going to be or whatever, but he knows his, he's going to have a boy and his boy has a part to play in the Christmas story. He and his wife are going to bring a, the boy, a boy into the world who's going to turn the children of Israel's hearts back to the Lord their God. And make ready for the Lord a people prepared for him. That's his perspective. Are you hearing me? Right? And and, and here's the thing. I mean, nobody else knows what's going on between God and Zechariah at this moment. God didn't proclaim this to everybody. We get to know it because we're reading it after the fact. But in this moment, God's going to, the angel Gabriel just spoke with John. The next person he's going to speak to is going to be Mary. He's going to tell her something that's not for everybody else. He's weaving this thing through. Don't you think for a second, no, that's next week. That's next week. But God is weaving this thing together. He's telling each of the, of the primary characters what they need to know so that they can play their part in the overall story. And they don't need to know everybody else's part. They just need to know their part and walk in it. And God is making it all come together and making it come to pass. But after this, uh, let, let, let's, uh, let, let's read on in uh, verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man. It seemed like I've, I, I, it seemed like I've read this scenario play out a time or two in the Bible before. But Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. 
I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. You know, hey, there's a message there. If he ever comes to visit you, don't mess with Gabriel. (laughs) Whatever he says. (laughs) But no, uh, this tells me that, you know, Zechariah, I think, was in a tough place here. It's not a surprise that he would have some questions. Mary also said, how can these things be since she knew not a man? But I believe the difference here was that Mary, though, hadn't been beaten up by a lifetime of not getting her prayer answered. So her question wasn't necessarily in doubt, fear, and unbelief. It was seeking to understand, but eager to believe. She was just trying to get her mind around it so she could be in faith. I believe Zechariah was like, hmm, no. I think his perspective was one of unbelief. Because he'd been there. He crossed that road hundreds of times. He crossed that road many years. He he went to God, he and his wife. He He shed tears with his wife when the prayer went unanswered untold number of times. And now, when we're both advanced in years, this message comes, nah, color me skeptical. But it's good to know that sometimes God will silence you so that you don't get in the way of what he's already decided he's going to do. God's plan will come to pass. It will come to pass. He may have to hem us in in order for us to play our part and not, and not be an obstruction in any, in any kind of way, but his plan will, his purpose, his will, will come to pass in the earth. And there are those who will fight against it, but it will be to no avail because he's God and he's God alone. He's the only one. The heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. What he says he will do, he will do, and no one can stop it. And so he tells them, you're going to be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his house. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. It's a, it was a reproach among people for you to not be able to bear children. Now guys, don't y'all be getting any ideas. I don't want y'all trying to go home to your beloved with a supposed message from the Lord. Don't you try to drop that line on your on your wife. It may not be received well. You, get, you may get away with it one time. But she hid herself for five months. Uh, around the six months she gets visited by a young lady named Mary, relative of hers. And uh, the baby leaps in her womb and, and greeting of Mary the mother of the Lord. 
I believe that was both a confirmation, that was a confirmation to both ladies. I don't want to belabor the time, so I want to skip all the way down to verse 57. Poor Zechariah. Faithful man of God, loving husband. One of the good priests. Great reputation. Gets this wonderful message brought by Gabriel and then he gets his mouth shut. Verse 57 says, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. You know, they circumcised the male children the eighth day after they were born. So this man was mute (laughs) for more than nine months unable to speak, unable to proclaim what had been declared to him by the angel Gabriel. He's under, he's still dealing with the consequence of his unbelief in that temple. But today, his son was circumcised. And he acted in obedience. His wife knew it. Our boy's name is John. No, let's see what your husband's got to say. And he wrote it down. The boy's name is John. He learned his lesson, boy. (laughs) He learned his lesson. What the angel Gabriel said, he said, these things shall come to pass in their time. And everything happened. He went home. He lay with his wife and what? She got pregnant. When, they, when she had the baby, it was a boy. This was all done by the hand of God. And when that boy was born, there was one thing left to do for them to name the child. And husband and wife said the same thing. His name is John. And when he wrote down that name, John, all of a sudden, his mouth was loosed and he was able to talk again. You know, tell you what, you know the whole phrase, loose lips sink ships and so forth? This isn't, doesn't really mean it in this way, but I'm going to apply it in this way. Right? We have to be measured and careful about what we allow to come out of our mouths. Particularly when we know it's God speaking to us. When we know what we're hearing is a word from the Lord. We have a responsibility to respond to that. And you know, let God be true and everyone else a liar. Right? Even if that one is the one who's in the mirror looking back at you. You know, our feelings sometimes are the biggest liars to us. 
But see, his life experience in that temple caused him to perceive what should have been a joy and, a, and something that made you rejoice and worship. And, and he should have been able to say, yes, Lord. But his life experience colored his perspective. And he did not see it in the light that he should have seen it in. Are you hearing me? I'm telling you this because that's, we all should be able to relate to this. Sometimes we, a, a particularly bad failure in our lives can cause us to, that life experience can cause us to perceive ourselves as failures. So when opportunity comes, we won't even reach for it because we're afraid to fail. There's a reason why when people fall off a bike or fall off a horse, they say, get back on there again. Get back up there because we don't want you to become a victim to your mindset. Life experiences, they are important. They do have some value, but they cannot be the end-all, be-all to us. We cannot allow life experiences to affect how we respond when God speaks to us. Are you hearing me? And we learn that valuable lesson through Zechariah. He's got his boy. And everybody is witness. And I want to continue. I'm going to finish here with these last 12 verses, 67 to 79. And I'll give my concluding point, and um, and we'll we'll go on about our day in the Lord. Sixty-seven, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, "Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people." and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful prophecy. Now he starts talking about his boy. And you, child, <laughs> Everybody say, you child. You child will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, we can all marvel and we can all just think about with wonder how amazing it would have been for us to be in that field with the shepherds and see the the, the heavens open up and the, and, and the choir of angels singing, announcing the birth of the Lord, our God. We can imagine how precious and how amazing it would have been to be there in the manger. Seeing baby Jesus in the manger.
the wise men's experience following that star and presenting their presence. For they know that they have laid eyes on him who they travel so far to see. And go back rejoicing. We have seen the Messiah. We've seen the Savior of the world. It's not hard for us to go there and, and, and with wonderment and amazement and, and wish that we could have been there. But don't slight this story. Because this is no less amazing. This is no less wonderful. This is no less significant in the Christmas story of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This story is about the one who would precede the Messiah and the role his father and mother played in this whole story. This son is born. By God's divine miracle working power, God quickens her womb and they're able to have this miracle baby. <laughs> and it, I, I, can, I can only imagine what they, what, what um, Zechariah and Elizabeth must have thought. After all the, the years of crying and disappointment, all the years of unanswered prayer. What must have been going through their mind? What joy must have welled up inside them? When their miracle baby came. As a parent, that's reason enough to rejoice. You don't have to give, you know, you don't have to tell me my child's going to be, you know, the forerunner to the Lord for me to be excited about my child. That was exciting enough. But to tell him, tell them the role their child was going to play in the coming of the Messiah. You know, it it would have been a blessing. It would have been precious if God had answered their prayer in their prime of their childbearing years. But for him to answer it when he answered it. Oh, my goodness. There's no substitute for that. Right? And all those years of disappointment have culminated into this one moment of unimaginable joy. And so, I just kind of want to conclude it by saying, Zechariah, just kind of sum it up, uh, do a summary of Zechariah. Zechariah is the godly man Well, no disrespect if, uh, to, the, to the old in here, but Zechariah is the godly man who got old waiting on God to answer his prayer for a child. Some, you know, sometimes we wait for a long time for, for God to bless us, Right? We have to persevere in a lot of things. And sometimes we get to a point where we think that it's just not going to happen. And then it happens. Right? The thing that we began to think might not ever happen, happens. And oh my goodness, when it happens, it's as if it could not have been a more perfect time for it to happen. And we realize, you know what? God knows better than we do.
God didn't not answer my prayers all those times. God just had me wait for the answer. Right? It feels like he answered it with a no, but it wasn't a no. His yes just happened a lot later, later than we wanted it to or that we expected. And that's why, hey, when he comes, will there still be faith? Will we still be standing on his promises? Will we still be believing in the God of our salvation? If there is nothing that he can't do, if he promised it, he will bring it to pass. He's faithful to us, and he will ever be. So he's a godly man who got old waiting for God to answer his prayer for a child. But after a visit from the angel Gabriel, After a visit from the archangel, Gabriel, one day, he got exceedingly and abundantly more than he could ever have imagined. And isn't that our God? He can give us what we want when we want it. But that's not, that's not how this thing works. That's not how this operates. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, I have some prayer requests for you, Lord. And you have spoken to me. People have prophesied. People have given me words of exhortation. You have really, you've really spoken to me in my heart, letting me know that you're going to work this thing out for my good. So, Lord, what we, you know, what we won't want to do is press and try to give God a timetable because if the time, if the, we get past the timetable, then all of a sudden we're really in trouble now because we put a timetable on our faith. We told God, hey, I got enough faith to believe you for two weeks here. Right? After that, after the time elapses, now we're on the struggle bus, right? The posture should be, okay, God, I hear you. I know in my heart you're going to do a work here. And no matter how long I have to persevere, I'm going to believe in the goodness of God. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, right? So, so I know if I wait on him, there'll come a moment when my strength will be renewed. There, he, he, he's going to come. Maybe not on my timetable, but he will come in his own divine timing. And, it, and, and he, when he comes, it will be at the right time. Because it's not just about what we want. It's about the role that we play in the overall plan of God. You and I are characters in the story as well. And so, Zechariah had a role to play. It's a little rough on him there, but he found himself. And he found himself, and he found God faithful to him. Maybe you're waiting on God. Maybe you're still waiting on God. Maybe you've been waiting so long You've got no waiting on God. Or yet or or less young waiting on God. I would like you to let Zechariah's story be an inspiration to you. Maybe what you've interpreted as unanswered prayer. is not an unanswered prayer. It's just going to get answered in a different timetable than you wanted it to. However long it takes, keep believing in God. However long it takes, keep trusting him. However long it takes, wait on him. Your strength will be renewed. Your rejoicing will come. I'm going to ask you to stand.
Zechariah, godly man. His wife Elizabeth, godly woman. I don't know why they didn't get a child, why God didn't give them a child in their young age. But he gave them the child that they prayed for at the right time. And they went from probably questioning how favored they are by God to things unfolding in such a way that it showed just how exceedingly favored by God they really were. See, things aren't always what they seem. You don't seem very favored by God when you're barren and unable to have children. But when you give birth to John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, there's special favor on your life. God chose, he didn't just choose any parents. He chose, remember the introduction, he chose the two parents that were righteous before God and walked blamelessly in all of his commandments and statutes. That's the couple to which John the Baptist was born. It's no wonder this man was on fire for God and, and, and was able to go out into the wilderness and eat crickets and stuff. man who wasn't fearful for his own life. He did what God told him to do. He said what God told him to say. And he told people small and great. It didn't matter what your position was. It didn't matter how much power you had. He told you what was true. He told you what was sin, what was right, what was wrong. And the people of God were awakened, quickened. They turned to God because of him people's hearts were prepared to receive Jesus. That's the, you know, when, when Zechariah thinks back on the Christmas story, that's the perspective that he gets. That's the role that he played. And without that role, right, that, that domino had to fall for everything else that came after it. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Christmas story. Thank you for letting us for a moment consider the Christmas story from the perspective of one of the characters in it that doesn't really get, often doesn't get the attention that he should. We thank you for shedding, shining a light on him t for us today, though, Lord. Because in his story, there is a story of redemption. Opportunities seemingly lost to have children redeemed unto them. And the child that was born to them was more of a blessing than they could have ever imagined. Let that be an inspiration and an encouragement to us who may be in the process of waiting a long time, longer than we thought we would have to. Let that be an encouragement and an inspiration for us to keep on waiting. For us to keep on believing, to stay in an attitude of faith, to look with hopeful expectation that what God has promised shall surely come to pass. Who will not allow feelings, who will not allow life experiences to taint their ability to hold on and trust God. Father God, I pray that you 
encourage afresh anyone who came here struggling in that area today, Lord. Their time is coming. I can't say when, I, I can't say how, but I know the God that they trust in. And what you promise, you will do. So encourage them, Lord. Strengthen them in their faith, Father God. Help them. Give them a peace where it's needed that they might continue to stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Do it all for your glory, Father God. And let it be done in such a way that anyone who may be struggling now, that when you do move, that it will be done in such a way that though people in their sphere of influence will marvel at it like those present marveled at the, the day when John was named and his dad prophesied over him. They say, what, what, what call must God have on this young boy's life? What they were doing there is, Father God, they was giving glory to you. So I, I thank you that as you do work these things out, when the moment finally does come, that it will be done in a way that will bring you glory and will exalt you in the minds and hearts of those present. For you are truly worthy of it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.